Hello, Hyrock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We're continuing with our walk through the book of Isaiah, and today we are going to be in chapter 25 and 26. 25 is a promise of de deliverance after all these judgments upon the nations. There's this promise of deliverance uh, with chapter 26 being a follow-up psalm or, or song celebrating this promise. So we're going to do selected verses from chapters 25 and 26 where we read this. O oh Lord, I will honor and praise your name, for you are my God. You do such wonderful things. You planned them long ago, and now you have accomplished them. You turn mighty cities into heaps of ruins. Cities with strong walls are turned to rubble. Beautiful palaces in distant lands disappear and will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong nations will declare your glory. Ruthless nations will fear you. But you are a tower of refuge for the poor, O Lord, a tower of refuge to the needy in distress. You are a refuge from the storm and a shelter from the heat, for the oppressive acts of ruthless people are like a storm beating against a wall, or like the relentless heat of the desert. But you silence the roar of foreign nations, as the shade of a cloud cools relentless heat, so the boastful songs of the ruthless, ruthless people are stilled. In Jerusalem, the Lord of Heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. In that day, everyone in the land of Judah will sing this song. Our city is strong. We are surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Open the gates to all who are righteous. Allow the faithful to enter. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. He humbles the proud and brings down the arrogant city. He brings it down to dust. The poor and oppressed trample it underfoot, and the needy walk all over it. Lord, in distress we searched for you. We prayed beneath the burden of your discipline. Just as a pregnant woman writhes and cries out in pain as she gives birth, so we were in your presence, Lord. We too writhe in agony, but nothing comes of our suffering. We have not given salvation to the earth, nor brought life into the world. But those who die in the Lord will live. Their bodies will rise again. Those who sleep in the earth will rise up and sing for joy. For your life-giving light will fall like dew on your people in the place of the dead. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, um, one of the chapters that we skipped in uh, chapter 22, actually, it was uh, there was this reaction to God's discipline that, that was one of desperation rather than faith. It was kind of a, a nihilistic response. Uh, in chapter 22, verse 12 and following, it says, At that time, the Lord, the lords of heaven's armies, called you to weep and mourn. He told you to shave your heads in sorrows for your sins and to wear clothes of burlap to show your remorse. So God called for repentance. But their response wasn't repentance. It said, instead, you dance and play, you slaughter cattle and kill sheep, you feast on meat and drink wine. You say, let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. And it's kind of this uh, response of nihilistic abandonment, uh, of, of abandon, like, you know, this is kind of, you're, you're realizing the situation is hard and so you're just tempted to give up. You know, you know, it's going to be bad, so you might as well have fun and enjoy it and pursue uh, empty things. There's this kind of denial of death. And so you just refuse to think about it, refuse to deal with it. But here uh, in chapter 25, we, we see a better response, one of actually considering the truth and 
and the, uh, the the consequences of of turning against God and 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 doing all these things in rebellion against God, like failing to give justice to the poor and whatnot. And I love it in verse seven. It, it says uh, that God removes the cloud of gloom. Um, but if you look up the, the wording there, as I, I was, one of the commentaries uh, clued me in on this, that it's actually the same word that's used of a funeral veil. Uh, the idea is that there's this veil, like a funeral veil over the mountains and over the earth. But God says he's going to, this prophecy says that God is going to remove that shadow of death, that shadow of gloom. And in verse eight, he says that it's going to, that God is going to swallow up death forever. Now we're not told how God is going to do this, but there is this promise. And which is really interesting too, because in the Old Testament, there's not a whole lot about what happens after death. Uh, there's, you know, a couple of uh, cryptic verses about Sheol, about the grave and, and, and things like that, but not a lot. But this is one of these clear promises that, that God is intending to uh, eliminate death in, entirely. Um, and so we're told to, you know, in this song, to trust in God, to trust in the, uh, the, the eternal rock who humbles the proud and brings down the arrogant city. And so this is really like the, the proper response that God is looking for is that we would repent, that the, that the arrogant and the proud would humble themselves, uh, that the poor would be lifted up, that we would uh, submit to God and, and, and kind of live in God's principles that bring peace and shalom rather than const constantly fighting um, back against God. This is what it says in, in verse 12 that we just read, the Lord will grant you peace. And um, or he actually says, Lord, you will grant us peace. All we have accomplished is really from you. The fruits of your successes really um, are a, a result in many ways of what the Lord has done through you rather than something that you can uh, really take pride in. And the last thing I'll say is I really love this image. There's the, the, the song turns to this kind of um, uh, uh, painful moment where it says like we writhe in agony and it compares it to like a woman who's in childbirth. There's this kind of like now and not yet, like we, we see this promise coming, but right now we're experiencing this pain where we, we want to see this life that you've talked about. We want to see it birth, but, but it's not happening. We're not giving birth and salvation to the world. Um, and that, but there's this promise. It says that even those who die in the Lord. So again, this is the death being swallowed up in victory. It says, even those who die in the Lord, their bodies will rise again, that those who sleep in the earth will rise up and sing for joy. And, and so what I see in that is just that, uh, the, the, re the resolution of this tension of this now and the not yet is this promise that death will not be the final word, that when we see injustice that doesn't seem to have a resolution, oftentimes we evaluate that. I think that from the perspective of thinking that death is really the end, that that's, that's, you know, that's the end of the discussion. But for God, that isn't the end of the discussion. God can do what is impossible for us and bring justice where uh, it seems impossible to us. So, uh, Dave, I'm wondering what you see in this passage. Well, this section here from, from uh, Isaiah 25, anybody who's you know uh, been at High Rock for any length of time has heard me mention this passage only because I just think it's one of the most beautiful uh, anticipations of what heaven is like, right? So I think it's very difficult for God to be able to speak into our, you know, our little softball-sized brains, help us imagine something that's beyond our, literally beyond our ability to comprehend. And, and so God, you know, you see these metaphors throughout the scriptures, God trying to explain what, what's eternity going to be like. And, and I don't think that, you know, we can't imagine what it's like to be with God face to face, what it's like to, you know, experience the full presence of God, uh, you know, talk to God as one talks to a friend. Like we, we just, we can't 
imagine it. And so God tries to explain it using the images that we can imagine. And so it's like, okay, people who are impoverished, imagine, imagine like the streets are paved with gold. You know, like it's just, it's it's like that. It's, there's that much abundance and fullness and, 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 and just, you know, flourishing. And, and then the people who live in a desert, it's like, imagine, imagine there's this, you know, mighty river running right down the middle of it. Right. And he's got all of these different images that we see throughout the scriptures that are, are trying to give us a sense of what heaven's going to be like. And, and another point, it's like a, a, like a wedding feast, right? This, uh, you know, this coming together, that joy that you sense, the excitement, the anticipation, sort of, and it's really an anticipation of, of even more life that might, might result from this union. You know, that just this, it's a, a, it's a joyful moment that will give way to more joyful moments, right? That's sort of the, the, so you say it's like that. And, and I, but so there's all these great metaphors. This is one of my favorites. And in this one, uh, God's saying, it, okay, it's going to be like this wonderful feast. But here's the thing. All of us have been to feasts. And you either get invited or you don't. And you're in or you're out. But he said, this is a feast for all the people of the world. And what that actually conveys is not simply, and again, this is a promise that we all could have appreciated two weeks ago, but I think this week we can appreciate it even more, right? As we're seeing again, those same fractious lines that run through the Middle East, you know, that have literally been with us since the beginning of humanity, right? This is core to, to our, 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 our human experience. And, and you can say, well, I can see how there could be a, a victory for one side or for the other, uh, somebody wins, somebody loses. That's how these things always work out. And and yet God's promise from the beginning was, you know, you go back to, to Abraham, the promise to Abraham is that, that in fact, his seed would be a blessing for all of the nations of the earth, right? That's actually really different. It's not this side wins or this side wins. One celebrates and one mourns. It's no, 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 no. This is a feast where actually there's reconciliation, there, there's there's restoration of relationship. There isn't war anymore, and so this this incredible feast, and, and he, you know, it's just so vivid with this clear, well aged wine and choice meat. Right? It's just something so fulfilling and delightful. He's trying to say this this is what eternity is going to be like. And as you said, that there, there are not a lot of references to what happens after death in the Old Testament. There's a few Daniel, Ezekiel here. Uh, there's a few, but I, th I think this one is so interesting that, the, as you say, it's this that 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 the the sheet that is put over, you know, laid over somebody when they die, that that sheet is actually going to be taken away, and the dead are going to come back to life, and you know, all of we see this, we see the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel, you know, we we see the the souls who are in sleep, you know, kind of in, in Daniel, and we just kind of think, huh, what? You can imagine those people, they have no experience of this. They've never seen it before. It's This promise has been happening for generation after generation and yet has never been fulfilled. And it just remains almost a utopian idealistic promise. And yet you can then imagine why it is that people just reacted to Jesus so, you know, with such you know, this overwhelming sense. I mean, anybody rising the dead, yeah, that's going to be pretty amazing. But if you've been promised that for millennia and it's never happened, right? It, and all of a sudden you see it happen. And this is one of the reasons we make such a big deal about not just the death of Jesus on the cross to pay for our sin, big deal, but it's the resurrection of Jesus that shows he's defeated death and all these old promises are coming true. 
And this is what we look forward to. And I, I think that in our age, we have lost our anticipation for heaven. And I think that we are worse Christians because of it. And so much of our demand to make our lives, try to sort of make a facsimile as close as we can of heaven here is because we lost that, that hunger for heaven that I think has characterized Christians from the earliest days. This expectation that God is going to keep this promise. And so as a result, I don't need to make this world heaven. I'm here for a short time. I'm here for a purpose. I'm going to suffer some, but there's a promise that's to come where there'll be no more tears and, and no more insults and no more division and no more death and this, this complete satisfaction. And I think as we more and more fix our eyes on heaven, you know, people, there's always that charge. Oh, people are so heavenly minded. They're no earthly good. You know, that like Christians are just like, so thinking of the other world. And, you know, then they're no good at, the, you know, they're thinking so much of the next world, they're no good in this one. And actually, C.S. Lewis points out, no, it's the opposite. The people who accomplish the most in this world are exactly those who are the thinking the most of the next, who are the most confident in the next, who have the most hope placed in the next. Therefore, they're liberated to use this life to serve others instead of serving themselves. And I hope that we stoke your hope for heaven. Hmm. Yeah, I, I love the image of the feast too, because I know that from, from traveling in the Middle East, uh, just that if you break bread with somebody, there's this, now there's this bond, like you are now, at least for that time being, you're like family. Whatever else it means, it certainly means the cessation of all hostilities that we sit down to the same table of fellowship with one another. Lord, haste the day. Haste yeah. the day. Well, Dave, would you be willing to close us in prayer? Yes, Lord, hasten the day. As we see just such profound hostility, hurting so many people, and the anticipation, the, the anxiety of even more, God, hasten the day when all nations shall be at peace. There will be no more insults and no more mockery when all people will be invited to your heavenly banquet table. God, Hasten the day. God, we pray this not only on our own behalf, but especially on behalf of those people who are suffering and afraid right now in the Middle East. God, hasten the day. Bring this promise to its fullness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. I hope you're able to join us again tomorrow as we continue our walk through Isaiah.